Good morning. Well, some of you don't even know who I am. I'm Teresa Moyer. Um, I am the associate pastor here, but I haven't even met some of you because I have been away so much in the last three to four weeks that um, I'm really looking forward to getting to know some of the new faces in here. I was here last week for kids ministry, so I saw a few of you out at the table after the service, but I haven't been in this room for a sermon in almost an entire month. However, I have not missed one sermon. So if you travel or you have, are called out of town, you still have access to go and listen to the sermons. And whether or not you realize it, our sermons are progressively moving towards something. So it's great if you take the time to stay caught up with what the, the, the way God is moving us forward as a community. So last week, as I said, I was in kids' ministry. And the two Sundays before that, Steve and I were on vacation in North Carolina, if you could put that up there. So um, we were out on a dolphin viewing boat, you know, with a bunch of people. My brother and his wife were there. And for two days, we had a visit by our de delightful uh, family, as we like to call them, for those of you who know the Hans. We spent two days on the beach with them. They came and stayed with us. It was awesome. And then after our Hatteras vacation, we drove west to their house so that Steve could see their home. And this little one on my lap, for those of you who remember Katerina Rarstrom, who is now Katerina Clinton, this is her little baby. Her name is Hope. And they met us at the Hans. We had a wonderful little reunion. So we really had a great couple of weeks. But the prior Sunday, the week before all of this, we were, um, during the church outside the box, I was called away on Saturday. You can clear that. I was called away on Saturday before the church outside the box because my mom had a terrible fall. Many of you know this. I, I posted it on the CBC Women's page. But a lot of you don't know me and you don't know my story. And my mom is 92 years old. She has been living alone in an apartment in North Jersey for five years since my dad passed and has a great community there. But she has a life alert. But she doesn't like to sleep with it. So when she was getting ready for bed, she took it off, put it on her dresser, and proceeded to get ready for bed. She had a UTI, which none of us knew about, a, a, an infection in her body, that made her very dizzy and unstable. And she fell, we think, before she went to bed, gashed her head, had five staples put in her head, broke her right humerus right here, gashed her arm, and the worst of it is that she lay bleeding and crawling from room to room for 12 hours based on the proteins that were in her blood. We were so traumatized when we heard what she had walked through. And Steve and I, living about an hour and 50 minutes away, got in the car to drive up on Saturday. My younger brother lives 20 minutes away, was already at the hospital with her. Thank God her best friend in the building felt like something was wrong and went up and checked on my mom, praise the Lord for that, because she could have died. And um, so my sister, who's the boss and the oldest of the family, was in D.C. <laughs> visiting her family and her granddaughter. So we're on the phone, we're getting ready. I'm, I'm realizing there's blood all over my mom's apartment. And my best friends are setting me up with OxyClean and we're doing like, we go ready. I said, we'll go to the apartment. Steve and I will do the cleanup. We'll meet you at the hospital. You go right to the hospital. And Kenny's already at the, you know, we're all in our emergency mode, right? 
Kenny warned me and he said, you know, when you get there, it's gonna look like a murder scene. And I was like, okay, I'm bracing myself for it. And when we walked in, I actually couldn't believe what we saw. It was more like mom had been attacked by a bear or we had seen a slasher movie. And I will spare you the details, but it took us three and a half hours to sop up and oxyclean all of the carpeting in three rooms. And my husband is an absolute hero because he, he went back the second day. <laughs> yeah. He went back the day after, and we had to sleep in that room that night. I'll tell you what, that was, that was interesting. But my mom was in the hospital for a week, and um, she's watching, actually, little Madison's dance recital on my, on my computer. But during this time of healing from her UTI and her broken arm and her real disorientation, our family kind of braced ourselves, like, this is it, guys. This could be it. This could be the end, right? 92 years old. It's great. But um, my sister and I met halfway through the week to say to each other, you know, how are we doing? And we have to pick a rehab for mom when she gets out of the hospital. So we go over a cup of Dunkin' Donuts coffee. My sister looked at me. Now, my sister has been raised the same way I was, but she has no relationship with Jesus yet. We're working on it. But she looked at me. She says, Teresa, I was driving home from the hospital, and I kept trying to think of something, anything, where could I go? What could I do? What could I have that would make me feel better? And she looked at me and she said, I had nothing. And my heart just broke. I knew it wasn't the moment to preach at her, but I carry that with me. And then she looked at me and she goes, I have no idea how you did what you did. I could never have done it. And I said, you know, in some strange way, God had prepared me for this moment. I knew his presence was with me. I knew he was going to carry me through, and my husband was by my side. I said, but somehow it felt like an honor to minister to my mother's blood, to carry our family in that moment, to do something that no one else was going to be willing to or want to do. And I knew that it would be a blessing to my family. Now, four days before her fall, God had already started preparing me for what I was about to experience or go through. I had no idea, but I brought mom to the cardiologist all the way up in North Jersey about four days earlier, and I saw her instability. I saw that she couldn't let go of the walker and that she was a little bit loopy, and I just thought, here we go. She's 92. And I came home, and Wednesday morning I woke up, and I was ready to go through my regular morning devotions with the Lord and I said to him, you know what, God? I don't really want to encounter you today because you are a revealer of truth. And if I get close to you right now, I'm going to fall apart. And I would rather live in denial of what's happening than actually walk through this with you. But, you know, if we yield just this much, he carries us with whatever we give to him, right? So I said, okay, I'm just gonna, I read my scripture and I started to soften a little and I went down to my piano room and I started worshiping God and that did it, you know. Next thing you know, I was on the floor in, the, in my music studio and I was weeping like a Middle Eastern biblical woman. I mean, <laughs> screaming and weeping and, you know, I won't, I'll spare you the histrionics. But it was so visceral and so real 
And I was like, I don't want to do this season. I don't want to do it, God. But as I yielded to him in that moment, somehow I experienced his presence and his peace. And after I like gutted myself before the Lord, I stood up and went about my day. It was so strange. I was stabilized somehow. Now there's a psalm that I love. And when I'm really in pain or anguish or difficult situation, I pull up Psalm 40 verses one through three. It's one of my favorite psalms. And it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me, and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and placed my feet on a solid rock, gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, and many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. To me, this is a picture of the way God transforms us. We call, you know, we sing a song like that. I called, you answered, and you came to my rescue, and I want to be where you are. We rest in his arms as he pulls us out and sets us on a solid place, on the rock that is Jesus. And he shows us how to live in this new place of his kingdom ways to navigate all the stuff that hits us in this world. But unless we yield to God's transforming power, we can be like a drowning victim who calls out for help. The rescuer comes, but they fight the rescue so badly that they go down. And sometimes they take the rescuer with them. Thank God our God can't drown. The past few months, we have been learning about God's invitation to transformation. We looked at our first, you can put the slide up, thank you. We looked at our first uh, sermons here in this series that Rich gave us uh, was how the mercy of God is what brings us through transformation. The second sermon was how when we invite the Holy Spirit into the dark places of our lives, he brings us freedom. And then last week, John Chafee did a wonderful job of teaching us about the stages of our faith and how we have to go through different stages as we mature and God transforms us. I love this graphic that he put up there. You've changed. We're supposed to. Right? The, the reality with Jesus is we're not supposed to stay the same people that we came to him as. The goal is for us to be transformed into his ways, and he rescues us and brings us into his ways. Now, this... Uh, sermon, we're going to be talking about the power of yielding to transformation, to spiritual disciplines and practices that help us more fully experience God's transforming power. So we pray with me. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you that you've already met with us, that you are transforming us. Thank you. So I ask you to just season the words that come out of my mouth, but also that you would help us all to yield to you now and listen with new hearts that we would let go of our resistance and allow ourselves to be soft before you in Jesus name so now you've realized that the past few weeks have been very challenging for me and for my family but how about you what have you been going through in your families in your lives 
What pits of despair for you, Princess Bride family you know, people? <laughs> do you find yourselves in, right? Where, what are you wrestling with? Are you, like me, resisting the encounter with God because you know encountering him is going to bring some kind of truth that you'd rather not deal with? Has this sermon series helped you at all? Are we applying some of the things that we're learning, or are we just listening and walking on? Spiritual disciplines can sometimes feel like a challenge, like in your face, right? Fasting, silence, solitude, Sabbath, rest, play, so many others, they can transform. But if we yield to the transformation process, we can get a lot further in that transformation. Yes, I keep trying different places. Back. Ben is telling me to go back. <laughs> Better? Thank you. I do hear it. I just wasn't sure what to do. There we go. Better? Good? Okay, great. So what do I mean by yielding to spiritual disciplines? Well, you know, if somebody gives you a challenge, I don't know about you, but if somebody gives me a challenge, I either go, yeah, right, and walk away, or I go, all right, I'll do it. I can do it just to prove that I can do it, right? Just like we do any other exercise of transformation. I can take on that assault bike. I can do those 50 sit-ups. I can do, you know. And I can take on a spiritual discipline like fasting or solitude and silence and, and say, yeah, I nailed it. I was silent for 24 hours. That was a miracle. I, I propose that this may not be the purpose of spiritual discipline, <laughs> right? Perhaps that isn't really transforming me in the way God had in mind. Perhaps that is simply um, affirming my need for affirmation and my pride, which God calls sin. There's more to be gained by practicing a spiritual discipline than when we do it with the desire to be changed, not to just prove that I can do it or to shut up whoever is telling you about it all the time. All right, all right, I'll do it. Right? <laughs> if we're going to experience the benefits of spiritual disciplines, we're going to have to understand what quality uh, that God's trying to birth in us through that discipline. And then we are going to have to choose if we're going to do it in partnership with him, yielding to him making ourselves soft clay to be formed by him. He's not a bully. He's never going to force us to do anything. How we yield is how we get transformed. And when we do, you can put that song back up, he turns to us and he lifts us out of our slimy pit and establishes our feet on a rock, a new way of living, new understanding, but we got to let go of our resistance. And we get to see God more clearly. You know, Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. And as we humbly yield to these transforming practices, God brings his wisdom and his understanding as to why he encouraged us to do it in the first place. In my long lifetime, I have experienced three stages of engaging with spiritual disciplines. I scoff and resist, as I said before. You know, I'm like, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, I can do that. Or, yeah, that'll do any good. Or, it only makes me more cranky. You know. 
no faith, no belief that it'll help. That's usually the first, especially when I was younger. Then I sort of try it, you know, with my own strength. Do it. And, and then, but here's the thing. Even when you try it with just a little bit of like, I'm going to do it, God's ways are so amazing and transforming that you get to taste a little of it anyway. And then we're more readily willing to say, I'm going to do this because I believe it will transform me. Now, here, here's the deal. I find that by Wednesday of every week, I have to go, what did they preach on on Sunday? Anybody else? No, I'm going to be honest. Okay. So we keep trying to give these little like prompting things, like that little image of the transforming flowers. Well, I'm going to give you a kinetic physical experience today to help you remember the transforming power of yielding. Okay. I'm going to ask Elliot to come forward. And I am going to demonstrate the three phases, <laughs> the three phases that we can go through in transformation, resisting, slightly engaging, and fully engaging. Now, Ellie and I are going to do a trust fall in front of you. And, <laughs> and Elliot has a lot of reasons to drop me. I have known Elliot a long time, and I've given him many, many reasons. But I am trusting that God has transformed Elliot's heart over and over again so that he will not choose to drop me. Okay, we go through a little routine. Here's the first example, okay? I am encountering a new spiritual discipline. <sighs> Ready to fall. Catching. Falling. Fall away. No interaction, no connection, okay? Boo! <laughs> Sticking with the Princess Bride theme, okay. Second stage, willing to try it, but really using my own strength, yeah? Ready to fall. Catching. Falling. Fall away. <laughs> There's a little encounter, right? A little connection, but I'm still fully in control of what's happening. Okay. Ready to fall. Catching. Falling. Fall away. Oh. I could have gone a lot further. <laughs> Thank you for not dropping me. <laughs> Thank you, Elliot. Oh, man. Learning to trust God can be hard, right? Learning to let go of things can be hard. But when we give him even a small amount of trust, he shows himself faithful, and we're able to trust him more. And this is transformation. We call, we yield to his rescue, we stand on new ground. Then that hymn of praise comes out, and people see us. So what does transformation look like? Well, hopefully it looks a little more like Jesus, right? Jesus said you can tell a tree by its fruit, right? You know it's a peach tree because there's peaches hanging on it, right? Yeah. But... Um, the Apostle Paul gave us a whole list of what the fruit of the Holy Spirit looks like. Could you put that up, please? In Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you ever want to memorize this, the first three are one syllable, the second three are two syllables, the third three are three syllables. 
Ah, and it helps you to remember it. Um, so these are the attributes of God, the traits that God wants to birth in us. And who doesn't need more of these in their lives? Everybody. The transformation from where we are to more of that will show people God is real. And more people will want to know him. I want to tell you a story about my life as a professor at Eastern University. Many of you know I taught there for 30 years. The first decade, I had... I was still a professional singer, and I had come out of this very intensive conservatory training where the, the, the prevalent or the way people mostly did directing or teaching or prodding people onto the best they could be was fear, anger, control, shame. You know, if someone walked in late, they would go like... So for the first time, my first 10 years of teaching, if a student walked in late, I'd look at my watch, I'd look at them, I'd look at my watch, they'd say, I'm sorry, and the class was trained to say, we're sorry too. No joke. Now, being a four foot 10 person in education, I had to learn to be a little scary, especially when I was teaching junior high. But here I am at a Christian university, and this is how I'm running my rehearsals. This is how I'm running my classes. Now, I also poured out all sorts of love on them. But man, if they crossed me, look at Kevin, his face is cracking up because he was a part of that. So was Elliot. So the, the first decade that I was preaching, a, a parent was in a dress rehearsal for West Side Story. I direct, directed all the musicals. And I'm losing my mind in this rehearsal. Nothing's going the way it's supposed to! And I get a t-shirt from her the next day that says, I yell because I care. <laughs> and I thought, holy cow, is this really what I want to be for my students? God sent me a young woman to be my assistant for about four years. She was the kindest, gentlest, faithful, sweet, patient human being I had ever met. And when she did not hire musicians that were to my standards, I reamed her a new one. And that girl, oh my gosh, so full of forgiveness, sat next to me and said, you know, Teresa, you get a lot more bees with honey than with vinegar. And over the next four years, as I watched her, I asked God to change me. And then the second decade, I met this man. He is the epitome of patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The epitome. He's got the rest of them, too. But, <laughs> I mean, he is so good at these things that I remember, like, somebody calling at 9.30 at night asking for a ride to church the next morning. I'm like, now we got to get up an hour early. And, and he's like, how can we help you? A conviction, conviction. This North Jersey Italian thing drew, dies hard. <laughs> But by living with Steve, God gave me the experience of learning about these things. Then I meet that guy. And he keeps bringing these spiritual practices into our lives. <laughs> and I've been learning to yield to their transforming power. He can tell you some stories. We never arrive right? 
But God never stops transforming us as we yield to him and practice his ways. And I have found out that practicing spiritual disciplines is really like opening a door into the world of these traits. When I practice centering prayer, I'm more peaceful for the rest of the day. When I fast, I learn self-control. When I serve the poor, I experience kindness and mercy flowing through me that I didn't know was possible. When I practice Sabbath, I get more joy and rest. And it's better for everyone in my life. It's, it's as if heaven reaches down into earth, pulls me out of the prisons I've made or the ones others have made for me and sets me on a solid rock. Now, am I the most patient person on the planet? <laughs> Absolutely not. But I am more patient than I used to be. Am I the kindest or gentlest person? No, but I am kinder and gentler than I used to be. And if you have known me for any length of time, a couple of these alum came back about 10, 15 years, maybe, maybe even 18, 20 years into my, they came to visit. And they were in a dress rehearsal. And there I am saying, honey, could you just, if you would just go a little bit more, yeah, okay, do you need something? What can I do for you? Okay, good, let's, right, let's take it from the top, everybody. And this alum turned to me and went, who the heck are you? Where were you when I was a student? And I looked at them and I said, guys, Jesus is real. It's been 15 years. He has changed me. And I'm still working on it. Transformation is a partnership, like my trust fall with Elliot. The one receiving the grace and mercy of God learns to yield to the invitation of transformation. Another way of thinking about it, if you like, it's like we're in a couple's dance with God. He leads, we yield, we follow. We go at his pace, at his steps. And if you're not really comfortable with all these theatery images, it's like... You know, how about a, a coach or a trainer? You get those ripped muscles or the agility or speed we want. We've got to yield and trust ourselves to the people who are teaching us. That's what it was like to work out under Pete Wong's instruction. I had the privilege of being in his basement gym. And, you know, Pete really was so kind in helping me to overcome my fears, my anxieties, my self-images as I trusted him and yielded him. Am I the most fit person on the planet? No, but I'll tell you what, I am stronger in my 60s than I was in my 40s because of him. Does he know the way? Could I trust him? Look at him. He knows the way. I mean, clearly, God knows the way to love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, patience, long-suffering, faithfulness, self-control. Just look at him. Look at him. He is love. He gives peace that surpasses our understanding. He's the only good. He's kind and humble. He suffers long with humanity. Faithful. And God's self-control is the only reason humans are still on the planet. Because he chooses to restrain his final judgment so that more can come to be a part of his family. You know, Proverbs tells us God's ways are a refuge for those who follow God, but it doesn't mean we're not going to suffer on our way through. Jesus told us in this world we'll have trouble, but that he has overcome the world and he can show us the ways through. And as I finish up here, I just want to finish with this thought. 
Transformation often becomes because we're suffering, right? And the Apostle Paul said to the, to the church in, Roman, in Rome, <laughs> in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 3, it says, we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces God's character as we press towards these transforming practices. And character actually gives us hope, hope for the future, hope for the world. And hope does not disappoint us. It might be a struggle, but spiritual disciplines work to help us yield to transformation. Now, I've shared most of what I've been practicing, solitude and silence. That was a tough one for me. But it's become a haven of peace. Centering prayer and Sabbath rest. These four have probably helped me the most. They've yielded more peace and gentleness and quietness in my soul. The one I'm pressing into right now is called slowing. And if you know me at all, I've been described as the energizer bunny most of my life, a multitasking, high-capacity person, and truthfully, I get a lot of sense of pride and accomplishment from being fast and efficient and knocking things off my list. But what I haven't noticed in my speed is how many people I leave in my wake. It's actually sin for me to take this much pride in doing things fast. And it's humility that's going to give me wisdom. The discipline of slowing is helping me to yield to God's pace. He moves a lot slower than I do. Slowing means I might accomplish less, although that's not always the case, because I, I knock things over a lot less when I slow down. I have less having to fix because I've messed something up with my speed. But slowing also helps me relax and trust God more. Relaxing makes me more available to others and creates a gentler, more peaceful way of life for myself, my husband, and everyone around me. It's hard for me to move slowly. It's a struggle, but it's where I join God in the dance and move at his pace. Because he's not seeking to impress or prove anything to anybody. And he's teaching me that I can also live in that reality. Now, I want to finish with two suggestions, maybe three for you. I'm going to put up a couple books up here on the screen. Some of you are very familiar with this book by John Mark Comer. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He goes through lots of different spiritual practices and other ideas to eliminate hurry from your life. And a colleague and friend of his, Jefferson Bethke, wrote another book called To Hell with the Hustle. And he said he didn't mean to offend anybody with this title, but that the idea is that the hustle of life needs to be in hell, not on the earth. That's what he said. Now, I did not read this book. I read some of the first book. But thanks to Bernie Andrews, I want to introduce to some of you who are not into reading books, but you love podcasts. There's a podcast where these two men have come together to compare and contrast their work and to talk about spiritual disciplines. And it's called Fight, Hustle, and Hurry Podcast. And it's only on Spotify. I've looked for it in other places. And it's not possible to find anywhere else, at least not at this point. And as I've been driving back and forth to visit my mom in rehab and in the hospital, I've been listening to this podcast. And practicing the disciplines they're discussing have really helped stabilize me during one of the most challenging times of my life as I walk with my family in the final stage of my mother's life. My mom is a strong woman. Her strength is a great model for me. 
But what is even greater is watching her obediently yield to her physical therapists. And when I saw this video, her walking for the first time in two weeks, two and a half weeks, boy, man, that was strengthening. She continues to transform and never gives up. Now, I know someday her body will completely give up. But because she has yielded to God's salvation invitation so many decades ago and walks with Jesus here on the earth, even when her body does give up, as Rich said, we're not a body with a soul. We're a soul with a body. The soul will go on to be with Jesus eternally. Because for the joy that was before Jesus, he laid his life down for us. His death satisfied every requirement of God's justice. He paid for every sin we've ever committed or ever will, and he's made a way for us to live with him forever. And if you would like to enter into this relationship with Jesus for the first time today, we would love to pray with you. Please come and see us after the service during our prayer time. Yielding to God brought us his salvation. There's so much more for us while we live on the earth. Yielding to his practices will bring us more of the abundant life that he's promised. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just thank you so much for your presence, for the joy that is with us as we enter into um, communion with you here in our, in our church. I pray that as we worship you now, that you would pour these truths deep into us and help us to relax and let go of our resistance to the transformation you want to do. Help us to dance with you, Lord, to yield to you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.